Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of How to Live the Podcast, where we have real, meaningful, and fun conversations with people who inspire us, and sometimes we just have them with each other. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon, and today we're coming at you from a gray couch. Or a brown couch. I can't decide what color it is. It's definitely gray. But it's definitely not pink, where we usually are. Exactly, because we're at Stephanie's house and we're in our PJs. Just how we like it. I don't know how we're going to all go back to like actually getting dressed. Yeah, I don't know either. And also when I look at my wardrobe, I don't feel that inspired. Really? Sometimes I'll get up and I'll be like, I'm going to wear something else today. And then I look at it and I'm like, nah. You bought me that really pretty pale blue matching tracksuit. That's Terry Towling vibes. That excites me to get into that every single day. It's almost like I'm looking at my wardrobe from a comfort lens rather than a fashion lens. And from a comfort lens, I'm not excited by any of it. Mm, I also feel like now that we've started sharing videos and photos of us doing these podcasts and we're wearing our pajamas, we're like, that was like the part that we were guarding the most. So like Mm. now that it's out there, well, why would we ever get dressed ever again? Yeah. I think the other day when we were recording one, you were like, is it okay that I'm in trackies? And I was like, mate, we've done these in PJs. And you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> well, this week we're actually doing a bit of a bulk recording sesh. We're meeting with some different people to do podcast interviews. Some of them are in person. So we're going to have to get dressed. So mm. we'll see how that goes. I know. I'm interested to see people in person in a work setting. It's been so many months now. It's been since March since we've seen anyone out of our immediate yeah. in person. So that's going to be interesting. Are people going to try hug us? I hope not. Somebody came to my house the other day and he tried to hug me and I was like, whoa, 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 no, dude. Yes, yeah, so many people have been trying to hug me. But since we went to the protest the other day and there were some people who came out from that that said they had COVID. So then since then, I haven't been hugging anyone. Good call. Yeah. Safety first, peeps. Safety first. So today, you guys, we have just one of the most inspiring people that we have ever had the pleasure of speaking with. Oh my goodness. This episode is so good. I might cry just talking about it. And I actually cried listening back to it. I managed to keep it together in the moment, but when I listen back to this, wow, her story is just so, so powerful. She is such an incredibly strong person. So our guest today is Lizzie Velasquez. She is an activist, author, and YouTuber, and she was also born with this extremely rare disease that only two other people in the world have that they know of. And it's this syndrome that prevents her from accumulating any body fat and gaining weight, among some other symptoms that we'll chat about. And we do talk to Lizzie about a range of different things, including how she responded when she discovered a video labeling her the ugliest woman in the world, how she has come to define herself not by the way she looks, and so, so many other things. We just know you are going to absolutely love this very special episode. Here is Lizzie Velasquez. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I feel like we know you so well. So it's just like, hey, friend, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) So you are in Texas? Yes, I am. We love Texas. Have you been here? Yeah. Do you live in Austin? Yeah. 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 So we've both been to Austin. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. I actually did a road trip around Texas with some friends a few years ago and we were spending New Year's in Austin and everywhere we went in Texas, they were like, where are you spending New Year's? And we were like, Austin. And they were like, ugh, why? Uh. And then when we got to Austin, everyone was like, what are you doing here? And we were like, we're road tripping around Texas. And they were all like, ugh, why? (laughs) Did you like it? Oh, I loved it all. But I just thought that the polarity between Austin and the rest of Texas was so different. Oh, it's very different. I loved it. It's the best. Austin is amazing and we love Mexican food. So good. Like the queso, just like the cheese dip. So good. I'm actually planning on making that for dinner. <laughs> oh, amazing. Good one. Very yeah. American. You can't really get that in Australia. So we do want to start off by asking you, you know, you have this incredibly playful nature in how you speak about what you've been through in your life. You were born with this extremely rare condition, which no doubt has come with its challenges. But Mm -hmm. what is the biggest perk that has come out of being born with this condition? Nobody's ever asked me that. I don't think. (laughs) Because I don't have an automatic answer in my head. (laughs) Um, I think the biggest perk, and it sounds so weird, but I'm so small that I can fit anywhere. And it's pretty great. I travel a lot for work. So being able to just find somewhere in an airport where I can like snuggle up airplane seats, I'm small enough to sort of curl up in a ball and just lay down like a bed. So it's kind of one of my favorite things is that I can, you know, fit anywhere. Oh, that's a really good answer. I like that. Yeah, I get that that would be good because even like I'm uber flexible. And so sometimes I can pretzel myself into a bit of a ball and people looking at me, they're like, oh, that looks really comfortable. I wish I could do that. So I kind of get it. Oh, yeah. Even I mean, if we go out and we randomly buy like a piece of furniture or something, I can easily fit somewhere in the car and be completely fine. And there's been so many times where I'm with my family and I'll be sitting in a corner and nobody realizes that I'm there until I stand up because I'm just like hidden in this little corner. So for listeners that maybe haven't heard your story before, when we were listening to a few of your talks, we were just like in awe and you've obviously got it down to a fine (laughs) art, but it is so just enthralling. So we'd love you to talk us through a bit of your background around your birth story and what your experience was like in early childhood. Yeah, I was born and raised here in Austin. I was my parents' firstborn child. Everything was completely normal. I ended up having to be born six weeks before my actual due date. My mom went in for an ultrasound and they realized that I had stopped growing and I was very small. And they also realized that there was no amniotic fluid around me. So they had to do an emergency C-section. And when I came out, they were shocked that I was actually alive because I guess you have to have this amniotic fluid around you to help you survive. And so I came out, everything was fully developed. My lungs, my everything internally was fully developed. I only weighed two pounds, 10 ounces. My skin was very translucent, which it still is now. You can still see like my veins and stuff. But other than that, I had to stay in the hospital for a good three weeks. It could be longer, basically just to keep me warm because every other test that they ran on me was completely normal. So the fact that I 
was so small and wasn't gaining weight the longer that I was there, but I was still doing everything else completely normally, just didn't make sense. And I was born in 1989. So back then they didn't have all these other medical books or, you know, research findings that we have now to look in and say, well, this is what she has because there are so many different conditions that I I fit the characteristics, but not enough for them to say, yes, this is officially what you have. So they basically just went off of my size and told my parents, you know, she's not going to be able to do anything on her own and you're going to have to take care of her the rest of her life and just basically expect all of these negative things. And being my parents' firstborn child, it was pretty easy for them to probably say, well, why us? And be upset. But instead, they really just said, we're going to take her home and love her and raise her to the best of our ability. And I think that's sort of where my foundation of where I am now really started. Because if it wasn't for them, I would still be going down this path where even doctors were like, you're going to be nothing. So growing up, once I started getting older, I was I was raised very normally in the sense that I didn't know that I was different. I knew that I had to see doctors a lot. I had a very weak immune system, which I still do now. Still no definite answers, still just, you know, raising me normally. I just wouldn't gain weight. And I was a lot smaller than other kids my age. Something that really stood out to me when I was reading your story was just the idea of being different to anyone is awful when you're a young child. You know, every child has this feeling that they're a little bit different from their peers and they just want to fit in and they don't want to stand out at all. And then you had that experience, but on a really, really large scale. So where did the story change for you when you were able to actually embrace your differences rather than shut them out or try and act like they were not there? I think to be honest, it was a process and I think it's a process that I'm still on. And I think it's one that I'm going to be on for the rest of my life. Just because going from hating being so different to then all of a sudden accepting it and owning it and taking it out and telling other people you're different too. Just own it. Like that whole process took a long time and a lot of tears, but at the same time, a lot of happiness. And I think it really started changing when I was probably about third, fourth, fifth grade. And that was mostly because in elementary schools, of course, when I first started realizing how different I really was and different in the sense of how different I looked from everybody else, It was really hard and it was really hard, especially because I personally was so young and it just didn't make sense. And how do I have such this normal life at home and with my family and with our church and I'm just Lizzie and nobody treats me different, but yet I go to the grocery store or I go to school or I go to a theme park and I'm something completely different, but yet nothing about me physically changed or who I was changed. So that difference really, really was hard and very confusing. And so in school, we started realizing that before every school year, on the first few days, my dad, who was a teacher at the time at the same school, 
he would go with me and he would introduce me to my class. And at first I hated it. And it was just another form of putting the spotlight on me, which I hated, which is so ironic now considering what I do, (laughs) but I hated it, but it worked. And so my dad and my teacher would stand up with me in front of the class and introduce me and, you know, say this old, this is Lizzie. She's just like you. She just looks different. She's smaller, blah, blah, blah. And so I noticed the difference because it took away the fear from the other kids because other kids are afraid of what they don't know. And they don't mean it in a mean way. They just don't understand. So for us to be able to go up there and explain it, the difference was crazy to me. The hard part or the downside of that was I still had to deal with walking in the hallways or going out to recess or the cafeteria, especially because those kids didn't get that personal introduction to me. So they didn't know me. Another plus side of my class knowing me was they were standing up for me and protecting me, which was really great. So by the time I was in fourth or fifth grade, I started sort of building my confidence and it was more of, I didn't need my dad to go with me. And I, I had the routine down of, I'm Lizzie, I'm just like you, blah, 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 doing the whole thing. And after fifth grade and then starting a new school in sixth grade and going to a completely different area, going to where it was completely different new kids who didn't know me at all, I felt prepared. And I felt like I had this introduction <laughs> that I had for my class who I was like prepared to use in this new school and was very pleasantly surprised that I didn't really have to use it as much as I thought because there were other kids who were just a little bit older and who got it. And that year I met my best group of girlfriends who were still friends now. Don't get me wrong. I still had to deal with people who were questioning and staring and saying things behind my back, of course, and of course out in public. But I think around that time is when I really started realizing that I can use my own voice to speak up and say, yes, I'm different, but I'm just like you. What an incredible testament to your parents and your family for the way that they created this absolute normalcy for you where you were just a normal kid and it sounds like that really built a foundation for you to be strong and confident in who you are and even your dad taking you and introducing you and showing you that way that you were then able to take that out into your own life and take it into your own hands. I think that's really, really incredible. That whole process is something that I now I'm hoping to work on more in the future because I've seen the impact of it. And of course, the world right now is just not what we thought it was going to look like whatsoever. But my goal once students are back in a classroom, if they are ever back in a classroom, whatever that is going to look like, I want to be that introduction for them. I had my dad to introduce me and some of these kids don't come from the same family system that I came from, or they don't have that person or their family or whoever it is, they don't really understand how to make that connection to help that student. So I want to be able to be that introduction for any kid who has a physical disability, who comes from a different background, who's adopted, whose skin is a different color. And I don't know exactly how that's going to look, but I'm really hoping that that's going to be the next thing that I venture off to. So you did mention that some of the kids from 
your class would stand up for you and I'm, I'm sure you had your own experience with bullying and we did hear that you had an incident when you were 17 and you saw this horrible video that dubbed you the ugliest woman in the world, just absolutely disgusting. But can you tell us what happened there and how you use moments like that to push you forward and to live your own truth? When I found that video, that was my first introduction to the world of cyberbullying. And when I went out in public, that was my first introduction to bullying. And so I see these two sides of my life. So I was so used to being bullied. I was never physically bullied. There was never anyone who like pushed me or did anything like that. It was mostly just name calling and pointing and stares. And it came from people of all ages, no matter how old I was young kids to teenagers, all the way to adults, all the way to elderly people who were saying things about me to my parents. And so I was fairly used to that. And I obviously hated it. But when we were out in public, once I became a teenager and my friends would notice it, oh my gosh, it would make them so angry. And I was always, I'm still such a non-confrontational person. And so I would rather just pretend I didn't see it. And with my vision, half the time, I never saw it anyway. (laughs) So there were so many times where I just didn't even notice, but they did. And so there were times where they would want to go say something like, hey, we see you, or do you want to tell her hi or whatever it was. And again, since I was small enough, I could hide behind one of my friends and just ignore it. Like, let's go. I remember when I started college and I had friends who I'd never met before who were from all over, who were experiencing going out with me for the first time and they weren't used to it. And so being on elevators where it's small and confined and there's people staring at you, they would do the whole, I hate when people stare. And then the people staring would have nowhere else to look but up because it's such like a small place and we'd sort of just you know call them out like we see what you're doing to our friend and so that's sort of how I dealt with it growing up the same thing with my parents who would go and you know my dad especially would go up and just say do you want to say hi to my daughter like I've noticed you looking things like that when I was 17 is when I found the world's ugliest woman video on YouTube on accident. And this was at a time where YouTube was still fairly new. I didn't really know much about YouTube. There was no real system of reporting a video, how there are now with so many guidelines and, you know, all of these measures. There wasn't really anything back then. The only thing that you can do was flag a video. And that was it. Who was getting the notification? Who knew? What was going to happen? Who knew? I found the video and there was 4 million views to it and thousands of comments. So that was sort of my first taste of what going viral meant. Because again, it wasn't really a thing back then. And all the comments were just so hateful. And there wasn't one comment that was like, she's a kid or what are you thinking? Or you don't know her. It was just awful, awful, awful. My mom found out she was the only one at home with me at the time. And I was, of course, bawling and upset and the comments were just horrendous. And I think I went from being so disgusted and so upset to then just feeling so helpless and so angry that I felt so helpless because 
I like to be in control of the situation and I like to be able to say that I can do something about it in any way, whatever that looks like. And in that situation, I couldn't do anything about it except click the flag button. But my dad came home, he found out, called my aunt over, it was this whole thing. And I was just so devastated and just said, I don't want to talk about this at all. I just wanted to pretend it didn't happen. But at the same time, it was the only thing that I could think about. Later that night, there was a message. Because again, back then, you could send uh, direct messages to people. And this person, I still don't know who it is, or I don't know anything about them, messaged and said, no matter how hard you try, I'm still going to keep re-uploading it. So I'm guessing they got like a notification of some sort that I was trying to get it taken down. And so that was the message. And then there was really nothing I can do. I didn't reply to it. It was just no matter what you do, I'm just going to keep re-uploading it. So I went back to school. I told my close group of girlfriends. I later found out that a majority of people at my high school had already seen it and known about it. And nobody talked about it because they didn't want me to find it. And so to have this total opposite reaction from you would think high schoolers would see like, oh, this girl goes to my school. We're going to share it around and talk about it. They didn't do that. And they didn't even know me. So I don't know how I got so lucky to have such a kind, supportive school who was wanting to protect me, even though unfortunately at the time I found it. About a week after I found it, it was multiplied so many times. It got to the point where there was no point in trying to get it taken down. It was everywhere. So it was pretty horrible. <laughs> it was like really, really awful. Lizzie, that is such a massive thing for any human being to go through, let alone somebody that's 17 years old and you've already kind of grown up with bullying in person and I have no doubt you had insecurities, but you know, you laugh about it. You are so strong and brave and you're a motivational speaker. You've spoken to crowds of people and helped empower other people. How did you have the strength to go and turn that around that so many people would just crumble under? That in itself was another process. I think my whole life is just all these different times of change and process. When I was getting up to being a preteen, I started to where I finally realized no matter what I do, I'm stuck in this body. So I need to either learn to love it or I'm just going to continue to hate it and feel sorry for myself. So I started building up this confidence slowly but surely because I've always been a people person and I have always loved doing things that I like and putting myself out there. And so, you know, doing cheerleading and our school newspaper and yearbook and I started making more friends and, you know, gaining more confidence. And then I find this video and it's like everything that I had built up was just gone. And there was no ounce of confidence that I felt was left in me because I started thinking all of these people agree that I'm horrible and that I I'm going to make people go blind by my ugliness. And all of these people are saying this world would be better without me. So when you hear these things over and over, it gets to a point where you stop hearing it and it starts becoming a part of you. And so when I started feeling their words becoming a part of me, that's when I sort of woke up 
and was like, this isn't going to happen. I'm not going to let them win. And I don't know how I'm not going to let them win, but they're not going to tell my story and they are not going to be my new introduction to people because this isn't true. This isn't what I want. And so I kind of just let it go and just started telling myself, continue to make yourself better. And that came in the form of getting good grades in high school. It's not like I was ever bad, but getting good grades in high school, still continuing to doing cheerleading, volunteering, teaching Sunday school, doing all of these things that I loved, preparing to go to college and really just doing whatever I could to continue to say, these are my goals that I set for myself and I'm just going to continue to work towards them. And whatever bumps in the road comes, I've already seen a lot of bumps and I've gotten through them. So whatever is next to come, I'm just going to deal with it. Little did I know that I was going to accomplish those goals by the time I was a freshman in college. Little did I know I was going to be gaining my independence by then. Little did I know I was going to be figuring all of this out in a smaller version of the public eye at the time, which was in the form of our local media, when it gotten around about the video and the positive things that I was doing and local newspapers and even our campus newspaper reaching out and me telling my story, which then led to more speaking opportunities, which then led to me writing my first book. And so all of these things started happening. And so the whole confidence thing really started building. So it was all of these things to where slowly but surely this really bad thing that happened to me in the form of this video started absolutely changing my life for the better. And I think the number one road to how I went from finding the video to then going to college and doing all these other things, that the only way that I could have gotten there was forgiveness. And that was forgiveness for the person who uploaded the video, forgiveness for the people who said that I should put a gun to my head, forgiveness for the people who said that I should be killed with fire. And it was forgiveness and understanding because I know that forgiveness is something that is really big in my faith. So I knew that already, but I didn't really process the part of forgiveness and understanding and understanding the fact that people who are saying really horrible things are saying really horrible things because those horrible things are being said to them. And that's not fair for me to judge or be angry at because they don't have the support or the confidence that I did at the time. So because of that, instead of me holding on to this anger, I could forgive them. I could understand what they're going through and I can now move forward and figure out a way for me to be this resource for them so that hopefully I was the last person they said to kill themselves. That's an incredible attitude to have. And I also see someone listening to that and being like, well, they don't necessarily deserve forgiveness. But I think what you uncovered there is that forgiveness isn't necessarily about them. 
It's more about you and your experience and you being able to move forward in this kind and loving way. You know, if you held on to the anger and the resentment, that wouldn't be affecting them. They would just go on their merry way. That would be affecting you. You would be the one preventing yourself from being able to move forward in this positive way. And that's such an important lesson for people to hear. Absolutely. At any age. And I mean, it's so hard when you're younger and, you know, you're so angry at someone and you're holding it in and you're keeping yourself in the dark in your bedroom. And it takes someone else to be like, hey, this is a horrible situation. I get how you're feeling. You have the right to feel how you feel. but This other person, what are they doing right now at this moment? Are they allowing this anger to stop them from having a good day or to stop them from studying for a test? And I would say nine times out of 10, they're not. And so it's not fair for you to hold yourself back when you still have the abilities to do the things to make yourself better and get back up again. Mm, And I love what you said there, that people are allowed to feel the way that they feel. You know, you said you went through that process of being angry, of feeling helpless. You know, you, you process those emotions, but once you have processed them, where do you go from there? And staying in that anger is never going to help you. And also resisting that anger is never going to help you either. It's just about allowing it all to come through so you can move through it and move into this place of understanding and forgiveness and look where it's taken you now in your life is pretty incredible. I mean, the second half of that, I definitely learned that lesson a lot later in life because once my story started coming out more, once Ted went viral, I was opened up to this whole new audience, which was amazing, but it was the biggest audience I'd ever had. And it was coming at me so quickly and it was amazing. And I'm still so grateful for it, but it was a lot. And well, first I kept thinking, I'm never going to be able to do another speech again. How am I going to outdo this TED talk that I didn't even plan for and made up as I was going? What am I going to do next? And so I had that fear, which I never had before. And I had been speaking for years leading up to doing the TED Talk. And so it was just this fear of what am I going to do next? And then the fear of how do I keep these people inspired? Because I was getting so many messages and comments of people saying, you know, you changed my life, you saved my life, and you did all of these things. And I was so grateful. But I still, to this day, just see myself as this girl from Austin who wanted to make a difference. And now just more people know who I am. And that's the only difference. But the reality of that looks very different than me just feeling like I'm still the same person. And so I felt like I need to keep posting this is amazing. Thank you all so much. If you're having a bad day, don't worry. It'll get better. The sun comes back up tomorrow. When on the inside, I was more overwhelmed than I had ever been in my life. I was scared. I was intimidated. I was confused. I was getting all of these people who came out of the woodworks who were now all of a sudden wanting to get coffee or go out for dinner or have a one night or do all of these things. And it was sort of just like, I needed to take a breath. And again, I was so caught up in feeling like, if I stop, this is going to stop. 
if I say no, everything is going to stop. So I said yes to everything without really sitting down and looking at my schedule. And so I was booking myself for the rest of the year, all the way up until the next year, because I was just saying yes. And I wasn't realizing it until two weeks before I had to do whatever it was. And there was no time for a break. And so I want to reiterate that I was so grateful and I still am so grateful. Everything was so incredible, but I was living two very different lives and I did everything I possibly could to not show the real side. I wanted to just show, yes, I'm going through a lot. Yes, it's crazy and exciting, but it's so great and everything is amazing. And this is like incredible. Until finally, I really had to sit down with myself and sit down with my family and sit down with this new incredible team I was working with and just say, I cannot give what I want to everyone else because I'm not giving it to myself. And there's no way I'm going to be able to continue to do what I do unless I press pause and unless I'm real and say, I am human, I still wake up some days and I hate the way that I look. I still wake up some days and I just want to cry for no reason. And I have to show that side of my life because that is how I have gotten to where I am today because I've allowed myself to feel those feelings. I just wasn't allowing myself to show them. And that's such a big important part for us to be able to get through those emotions feeling them yourself is one thing but letting someone else know and just having their acknowledgement of okay you're going through this right now I'm here for you whether it's one person whether it's 10 people whether it's all of your followers whatever it is it's so important to be able to say yes I'm positive but at the end of the day I'm human just like you And I have bad days. And there's some days where I feel like I'm failing. But then there's some days where I feel like failure isn't an option. So it's these two worlds that I had to, once again, learn how to put them together. And I think that that is the most powerful way you could inspire people because what you're talking about is human experience. I have those feelings and if I can relate to them, I think that the person next to me can as well. And the person in the next room, you know, we all have that experience where we want to be positive and we want to be inspiring and inspired. But some days it just doesn't happen that way. And that's okay. Some days life sucks. And yeah. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's funny because I feel like even looking at social media, we've all gone through this similar journey to you where Five years ago, everyone was like, nope, just put out the shiny things. Yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweep it under the rug. And now we're all like, nah, fuck that. We're sick of that. And we're tired. It's exhausting. Filter, 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 crop, 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 all of these things. And at some point, it's just like, you know what? No, no, this isn't going to happen. Yeah, let's put it all out there. And it sounds like you went on a journey to first realize that you know, looks don't define us. And then it sounds like you came to realize that success and accomplishments and those kind of external things don't define us either. So what does define us and how can we use that learning to change the way that we do things? 
I'm very much into the fact that there should be labels, but there also shouldn't be labels. And there should be definitions of things, but there also shouldn't be definitions of things, as crazy as that sounds. And when it comes to success, one definition, obviously, is not something that we should all be looking towards. Because success and beauty and all of those things that come together those are for us to define. Those are for us to create and keep personal if we want. Not everyone needs to know that you have these crazy goals or small goals. And not everyone needs to know that your value of success is having this certain amount of money. Not everyone needs to know all of these things. But if it's something that you are personally working towards, that is something that you should value and cherish and really, really work towards. And I think something that I have really been focusing on is saying it out loud and putting it out into the universe as crazy as it sounds, whether it's this short-term goal of wanting to buy a new couch, whether it's a short-term goal of wanting to make a new friend or going out to dinner by yourself, which now we can't do at all. But you know, these little things that you're able to do all the way to where it's a long-term goal of saying, I want to become a teacher or I want to write a book or I want to buy a house. Whatever these things are that are something that is so special to you and signifies success to you, I think that's what's most important. Not what I used to think when I was really a lot younger, when I thought, being on a magazine cover is success. When I thought living in a giant house is success. When I thought not having to buy anything generic was success. And now my vision of that is completely different, especially now being an adult and having my own home now and having these responsibilities of having to figure out how to fix things, which is my current latest hobby, you know, fixing underneath the sink or getting a hammer or my latest getting a drill and fixing things. And for me, that is success. That is me really doing something that's independent, doing something that no one ever thought I'd be able to do because of my size, because of my vision and probably always thinking I'd have to call a handyman and no, no, no. I figure it out. I look it up. I watch a bunch of YouTube videos. I probably mess it up two or three times, but then I go back and I do it again. So my version of success went from being on the cover of a magazine to now fixing a disposal. (laughs) I love that advice. It's so true. The reason that we all grow up with this idea of success is because we're not encouraged to define it for us. And it's actually something I think that we've spoken on this podcast before. So I'm so happy you explain that in such a powerful way. Yeah. And if I changed a light bulb, that would be hugely successful. (laughs) I've never even thought of that before. Like, look how excited I just got about this. (laughs) (laughs) I changed a light bulb. I have high ceilings and in front of my front door, the light that you put on like at night, it went out and nobody could figure out how to fix it because it was so high. And I finally figured it out and I got on a tall ladder and probably risked breaking something, but I fixed it. 
And it was just such pure joy that I did it. Amazing. Really cool. So we're all (laughs) going to be defining our own success going forward. I love that. We do wrap up with some quick fires if that's cool. Absolutely. What is your favorite cuisine? Oh my gosh. I eat like a five-year-old and I always will. So eating pizza, grilled cheese, chicken fingers, all the way. Sounds good. Oh my God. I love a grilled cheese. So we saw Michelle Obama gave a review for your latest book, Dare to Be Kind. And we wanted to ask you, have you met her in person? I never have, but it's on my list. Oh my gosh. I don't even know how I would react. I would probably be shy and say weird things. (laughs) But whenever I meet anyone who is a celebrity or whatever it might be, I tell myself just pretend they're, you know, one of my friends that are like my age. And so I always end up talking to them about something super random and, you know, play it really cool. And then I walk away and that's when I freak out. So (laughs) if I ever meet her, that will be my strategy. Amazing. I'm going to come up with another quick fire on the fly, which is what's the best celebrity that you've ever met? Oh my gosh. There's so many. I think they're all so great. They really truly are. I've never met a celebrity that I've really liked and looked up to and been disappointed. So I'm grateful for that. But I think the one celebrity that I have genuinely become really, really, really good friends with is Eva Mendez. And she and I are really close. And I'm so, so grateful for her friendship. And I think that's probably the best one. It's weird that I don't see her as a celebrity. I see her as a friend, but she is technically one. Uh, But yeah, she's been the greatest. That's amazing. She seems very cool. Who inspires you? Everyday people. Oh my gosh. Right now with everything going on, my inspiration level is out of this world. Seeing people who don't have a blue check mark by their name, seeing people who are just everyday people, people who aren't even doing something kind for someone else for the recognition. It's someone else who's spots it, who posts about it. Those people, they just keep me going. And that's how it's always been because I am so grateful to be this inspiration to other people. But in order for me to do that, I need the inspiration coming into me. And so that comes from people who are doing what I set out to do from the very beginning. And that's just being a normal person from a normal background who has an idea to try to make a difference. So seeing other people do the exact same thing gets me every time. So the last question is totally random. We were just having fun with this. Okay. If you went to live on Mars, what three items would you take with you? <sighs> can it be an animal? It could be yeah, anything yeah, yeah. you want. Okay. I would take my dogs, Oliver and Olivia. Cute. Because they're my whole entire world. I would take... Right now, I'm super into paint by numbers. (laughs) As dorky as that sounds, I'm obsessed with it. So I would take my paint by numbers and I would take, do you have an air fryer in Australia? Uh, My friend who lives in New York has told me that I have to get an air fryer. What is it? So an air fryer is the dream. It's hard to describe. It's like this little thing you put on your counter and you can cook anything in it that you would normally cook in oil on the stove. And there's no oil involved and it's not greasy or anything. And it's super quick and super amazing. 
It's life-changing. Yeah, cool. Lizzie, thank you so much. That was incredible. I feel so, so inspired right now, and I'm so excited for people to listen to this. Oh, thank you. Wow. Uh, Wow, 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 wow. That's just what I want to say. When we stopped talking to Lizzie, I remember we clicked record off and we said goodbye to her on the video and we just sat here being like, wow, that was incredible. She is amazing. What a very, very special human being is she. Oh my goodness. And everything that she has done with her life and how she's been able to inspire so many people. Oh my goodness. If we all just had a little ounce of Lizzie in us, Mm. I think the world would be a better place. I agree. So if you did like this episode, which I'm sure you did, and if you're feeling uplifted, which I'm sure you are, please help us get the word out by sharing this episode with your friends who you think need to hear these messages. Please also come and get involved in the conversation on our Facebook group, How to Live the Podcast, and of course, Instagram, How to Live the Podcast. Next week, we have a very fun conversation with the two of us. As you know, you guys, we are now doing one week interview, one week in conversation. So you're going to be hearing a whole lot more of the two of us speaking to each other. Sometimes it'll be crap. Sometimes it'll be good. Who knows? (laughs) It's like a lucky day. We like to think next week's one is good where we discuss how we're over the hustle. And it's the new kind of hustling. Take a little listen. It's not about not hustling. It's actually about redefining the hustle. So I used to associate hustle with hard work, long hours, elbow grease, not sleeping very much, taking it all very seriously. And when I started to analyze where that kind of came from within me, it was in such a people-pleasy way. I wanted people to perceive this about me. That's next week on the podcast. Until then, sending you so much love and so much good vibes. Have a wonderful week. See you later. Bye. Bye.